You're listening to the Viva La Mami podcast, a podcast about all things motherhood. I'm your host, Jessica Cuevas. I am a mother of one on a mission to redefine the meaning of motherhood as a first-generation, bilingual, and bicultural Latina mommy. Regardless if we feel like a failure from time to time, or if we succeeded with the little things in our motherhood journey, it is important to celebrate all of these experiences as madres. So bring your cafecito as I invite you to be a part of this space and create raw and honest conversations about the exciting and challenging parts of being a mommy. Ahora, vámonos. Hola, hola, amiga. Today we are welcoming Valeria Castillo for another VLM Spotlight. Valeria Castillo is an educator in the Northern Illinois area, and she has been a teacher for eight years and has taught third grade at a dual language school. She recently earned her second master's degree in urban education. Valeria has been married for four years with her amazing husband, Cristian. She is a working mama with one living child, and her familia honors their beautiful daughter in the stars every day. Today, we discuss the lived and raw experiences of pregnancy loss. In this episode, we will listen to Valeria's story with her first and second pregnancies, and we also talk about how our cultura as Latinas can often make an impact in the way we grieve and experience loss. Valeria also shares how she has navigated this new normal and provides ways that have helped her cope with her loss by seeking therapy and connecting with other mommies and parents who have also gone through loss. That being said, I will include a little trigger warning here. Valeria does share her pregnancy loss story, and I want to be mindful that this may be triggering for some who are experiencing this or who have not healed from the trauma of their own pregnancy loss or miscarriage. So something to be mindful of, but this is such a powerful conversation that I had with her, and it is my hope that you can have a space with Valeria in some capacity. Now, here is my interview with Valeria Castillo. Hola, Valeria. ¿Cómo estás? I'm good. How are you? I am good. It's so good to see you. It's yeah. It's been a while. We were in college together for for. I would say like a couple years. I'm I'm a little older than you, but yeah, we were a few of the Lat Latinx kids on campus, and so we made sure to connect in some capacity. <laughs> Very few, yes. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I think that you sharing your story will make so much of an impact and just awareness about your story. So I'll make sure for you to share that. But before we delve into that conversation, I would like to know a little bit more about yourself, if you can tell our listeners, and what do you currently do? Hi, so I am a third grade teacher. I teach at a dual language school here in Rockford, Illinois, the only dual language school in our district. I've been teaching for eight years, and all those eight years I have been in third grade, and I love it. I love seeing the children progress with their English and Spanish language. And it's just really fun. And I love what I do. And I'm really excited to be on your podcast. So thank you for inviting me. Yeah, of course. Thank you. And thank you for allowing yourself to be here because I know that these conversations aren't kind of rainbows and butterflies. There is also part of part of 
pregnancy and motherhood in general, there are a lot of unexpected things that can come. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes there is this narrative in our culture where it's all going to be perfect. It's all going to be great. And we don't talk about grief. We don't talk about loss. And so this is why I wanted to have you here just so that you can talk about your experience. And so I personally know your story and, and I really appreciate you being outspoken out there through your Instagram platform. And so would you be willing to share to our listeners about your first pregnancy? And you can share in whichever capacity, but I also want to make sure that our listeners can have a space with you. And that way you can allow, you know, what your experience was and also those that may not experience this yet, but may have this type of experience in the future. So my first pregnancy was like really bliss. The first, the decision that we took to decide to expand our family, we just kind of acted on it right away. And right away, we got pregnant, like the, after the first try. So I was really shocked because I also did hear that, you know, sometimes it might take a year, a couple months. Mm -hmm. But with us, it was just right away. And so we were very excited about that. It was like prime time COVID and lockdown. And so we would just kind of like kept to ourselves, stayed home, stayed, made sure we stayed safe. We were like going to doctor visits. Everything was going very well. We had our gender reveal. That's where we found out we were going to have a girl and everybody was so excited. Our family, it was definitely the first girl on my side of the family because my sister has a boy. And so they were all excited it was going to be a girl. It was the first granddaughter of my husband's side, first grandchild. So they were super excited. Mm -hmm. Everything was going super well until around like maybe end of September, October of 2020, where I did see some signs that just felt off to me. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I kind of trusted in my OB to you know have my back to check on me but she just kind of pushed me off as like normal pregnancy symptoms and you know in my heart I knew that something it wasn't right because I just felt a lot of like swollen I knew I knew I was going to be swollen like in my feet my hands mm -hmm. but it just felt too early and too much like I had to elevate my feet so much and just like you know the discharge wasn't looking right and then she just pushed it off as like, you're fine. It's normal pregnancy symptoms. And then the morning of October 5th was when I just started getting sh like sharp, sharp pain. And so I was like, something is wrong. So we ended up going to the ER. I was rushed to the like birthing floor. And then I was checked. And they were like, you know, you, we see membranes that are, you know, coming out. And my sister had gone through a loss also. Mm. And so it was just like, you know, is this something that's going to happen in my family? And my sister had to get a cervical cerclage done. So it's essentially a stitch in your cervix to prevent it from opening too early. And I asked for that and they were like, it's too late for that because it's like, you know, the membranes are coming out of your cervix. And so they were like, we just have to wait. 
and we're going to try to wait until you're wanting me to wait until I was 25 weeks. And I guess 25 weeks is, you know, I guess the first week of viability and she had a better chance of surviving Mm -hmm. at 25 weeks. And so I was in the hospital for about maybe three days, three, four Mm -hmm. days. And then contractions started kicking in and I just, you know, we had to have her. We couldn't wait any longer. And so throughout that, nurses were coming in and out, doctors were coming in and out. Everybody was saying that girls born premature do have a higher chance of surviving. And so everybody was just like, you know, it's going to be okay. She's going to survive. Like, we're going to do everything we can. Don't worry. Like, it's she's going to make it. And so as soon as she was born, right away, they put her in like the little NICU bed and they they just rushed her out. And then my husband also followed. They told my husband Mm -hmm. to follow. And then, you know, they're getting me all like ready. And then a nurse comes running in and she's like, mom, you have to come. And so the nurse was like, you know, rushing me, rushing to get me out of bed. They got me a wheelchair. They're like Mm -hmm. running me down the hall. And, you know, in that NICU room, everybody just has, you know, that face Mm. where you know that she didn't make it. Mm. I think, honestly, that was, that is, you know, still continues to be the worst moment of anybody's life. You know, you're wanting to start a family and to have to see your child die Mm. is the worst thing I think that could happen to anybody. You know, people say, like, you know, people obviously get upset when their mom or dad dies, you know, but they were able to live a full life, do all these experiences, grow up, do whatever they want. But, you know, my daughter didn't have that chance. And so after that, you know, they bring in a priest, they baptize her. We get to stay with her for the night. And so it was during COVID. They weren't allowing visitors. But in certain circumstances, they do. So my parents rushed to the hospital. My in-laws rushed to the hospital. Mm -hmm. So luckily, they were able to see her and say goodbye. Mm -hmm. And which, you know, we're really grateful that the hospital did let them in for that. And so there's an organization in Rockford called the Haven Network. Mm -hmm. And they work a lot with bereaved families and families who have experienced loss and The nurse actually asked me if I wanted them to call the organization. And I was like, I don't know what that is. And she said, they come, they take pictures of the baby. They come and take pictures with you and the baby. They make a ton of like memories. Like they make you a memory box. They put, they give you handprints, footprints. They come and bring her little blankets. She has this little headband that they gave her. And like, you know, they dress her up, they make her look nice for the pictures Mm. and they offer, you know, services after like therapy, they give you a whole album, like picture book. And so, you know, I also thank the nurses and that organization too, for helping us, you know, through the most horrible night of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Valeria, like this is just powerful that you are sharing this that you walked us through this because i'm sure that i mean you are still experiencing grief it's only been two years and Mm -hmm. 
you know, I do remember the time that you shared this and just oftentimes in our culture, we don't talk about, you know, you have these high expectations in pregnancy and in childbirth, like everything is going to be okay. And the medical professionals were telling you everything is going to be okay. But I read that one in four pregnancies, women do can miscarry or can lose, you know, a, a child in whether if it's stillbirth or early on in their pregnancy. And so that's something that we still have to be, be mindful and not ignore because it can happen to anyone. Mm -hmm. And like how you said, your pregnancy was perfect. It was great. You know, you are a healthy woman and it's just interesting how oftentimes we are not equipped or prepared for this until it happens. And so I'm glad that you found the support through the Haven Network. And I'll make sure to share that, especially for our listeners who are in the in the Rockford area, kind of that part of Illinois. But in terms of like finding that support, is it something that you truly took advantage of or was it just a way for you to just get in touch with other moms or parents who who went through a similar experience as you yeah so the haven network provided me with a year of free therapy grief therapy mm -hmm. and anyone in our family could have taken advantage of that as well so they you know were really 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 i'm really thankful that they did do that because that was just my first time ever experiencing therapy mm -hmm. and it was at a time where I did really need it because I just felt so alone in my grief yeah. that I just had I really had no one to connect with at that time and so during therapy like helped a lot with my grief I would I was going maybe like twice a week for a very long time and even through my second pregnancy, the therapist was like, you know what, you can still keep coming throughout your pregnancy and I won't charge you because my year was already up. And so I continued to go and that really helped me a lot. Just being able to, you know, vent and cry to somebody that maybe isn't family that doesn't really understand yes. that kind of loss. And then, you know, once I was in a better mind space, I did reach out, you know, to Instagram. They always like pop up with things that you kind of search for. And so I really did connect with other lost moms all over the country mm -hmm. who have experienced loss. And that has also helped me a lot. I have a really good friend, Hema, who is in the Bay Area and we, you know, message each other all the time when we're just not feeling good or you know when something triggers us and she does lives on Instagram and I'm always joining and mm -hmm. you know even if it's just a time where we could kind of just forget about it also but know that we do have that connection mm -hmm. also helps a lot. My sister and my brother-in-law were also very important people in our grief journey because they helped us through a lot of it especially since they both went through that they understand we have that mutual understanding of this lifelong grief that we will carry and so they were very 
helpful. They were checking in on us constantly throughout that first month. We they were they invited us to a camping trip at my brother-in-law's family's land. And so my husband and my brother-in-law bonded through their mutual grief. And of course my sister and I, you know, that made us I think a lot stronger and that also helped with our relationship too. It made us a lot closer because we both went through that. We both went through this tragic loss together. And so both of them were just very, very understanding and they've helped us so much and continue to do so also. Yeah, that's great. I think that there is so much meaning in in building a coalition and a community of mothers and parents who have gone through a similar experience. Again, even in the US, mm -hmm. there isn't much conversation about it. It's, it's all taboo. And I think that it is important for all of us to be aware that it can happen to anyone. Mm -hmm. um, as much as no one would wanna experience this and I would never want anyone to experience this, but unfortunately it does. Mm -hmm. And so considering that it is tabooed and now when you're adding this extra layer of our identity as, as Latino folks, how did this kind of experience led you into either isolation or did you talk about this with your family? Did your family reach out? How did they kind of navigate this as well with you? Mm -hmm. Was there anything missing out of this? Can you kind of walk us through that? On my side of the family, since my sister went through it, it was mm -hmm. just kind of like reliving that trauma all over again. Mm -hmm. My parents were definitely very supportive of me during that time. My sister, everybody was reaching out. I luckily was able to take some time off of work. So while my husband had to return to work, I would just go to my parents' house because I didn't want to be alone. And, you know, my parents are religious, just like every, you know, Latino family. We're very religious in the sense of like the Catholic religion. Mm -hmm. But what I do appreciate of my mom was just that she didn't, you know, push it. Mm -hmm. She wasn't saying like, God, only God knows why this happened. Or, mm -hmm. you know, we have to trust God. And she wasn't really pushing that narrative because, mm. you know, why would God want that? Why would God want to give me this pain? Right. And so it did make me question my faith, but I really do appreciate that my mom didn't, you know, push that on me. Yeah, that's good because, yeah, oftentimes we ignore our feelings, our traumas. And yes, when you do put religion, it it can help with the healing process, but it is not the, I, I wouldn't say excuse, but it is not the motive of why or, you know, mm -hmm. and how you process grief and how you process these feelings. So I'm really glad that your mom allowed space for you to talk about why this had to happen and not putting religion in it as a way to to make it kind of come to a resolution or, or solve things. So I'm glad. Mm -hmm. And speaking of our family and our cultura, what's kind of like the worst thing someone has said to you in response to your loss? 
And how did you respond? I think that definitely in like with Latinos that they have, they sometimes just say things. Mm -hmm. They don't know what to say. And, you know, the biggest one was like, oh, a lo mejor ya venía malita. And I'm just like, what does that have to do with anything? Mm -hmm. Whether she was, you know, whether there was something that was like a disability or, you know, physical, I that wouldn't have mattered to me at mm -hmm. all. Right. Or so I think that was just definitely, you know, very triggering to hear that mm -hmm. from some family. Mm -hmm. And that it just doesn't make it better if she, if there was something that that she was going to carry or something that she was going to have like that wouldn't have mattered to me right. or to my husband right exactly yeah and and again i think it's because of this narrative and perspective that everything's going to be perfect and mm -hmm. and it, you're so right that oftentimes we're not equipped to even having conversations like this like and and i'll admit it i'm, I'm having a hard time to ask the the right questions and even though there aren't right questions especially when you approach someone who is in the grieving process i think it's just allowing space mm -hmm. and and listening have have an open ear and that's the minimal thing that you can do instead of advising things or just kind of speculating things and oftentimes we do receive this unsolicited advice and and questions from families especially in our cultura where it's not even worth it and it leads you into even more isolation and despair yeah yeah, yeah. and so you did mention about your husband it did he also seek those resources and and therapy or how did he kind of process this it was hard for him i definitely you know, pushed the therapy services, but he just wasn't, he didn't want to. And mm -hmm. so everybody grieves their own way, which is mm -hmm. something I've learned also throughout this process. What might be helpful for me isn't helpful for him. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely let him, let him grieve his own way. There's no right or wrong grief, way to grief. There's no 10 step grief process and you'll be fine. There's no workbook that tells you this is how you're supposed to grieve and then you'll, everything will work out. Everybody griefs their own way. Everybody does things that will help them heal. Yeah. But therapy just wasn't one for him. And mm -hmm. so he did reach out to, I think in the beginning he was, you know, isolating himself. He was keeping busy with work and just didn't want any like downtime to think about it. And I respect that because that just was working for him. Mm. You know, there were in the beginning, there were times where we would just, you know, both wake up and just start crying in the middle mm. of the night. And I think as a man, especially in the Latino community, you have to be the strong one. Mm -hmm. And I definitely wanted to make sure he was okay and not just be okay for me. 
because I think he would see me crying a lot. And so he, his mindset was like, well, how can I cry if she's crying? I have to be there for her. So I think a lot of men in the Latino community try to suppress their feelings. Mm -hmm. And with something this heavy, I was worried for him. But, you know, he's he's talked to other friends about it. I think that's what really helped us was friends coming up to us and saying they've also experienced that loss. And, you know, there's a certain couple, Carla and Justin, who we just adore. And mm -hmm. they have, you know, they reached out to us. We weren't expecting, you know, them to. She, Carla dropped off like this like beautiful gift basket for us and mm. you know they've like invited us out and we've talked and you know not necessarily talk about loss but just understanding that there is that mutual you know connection to, mm -hmm. between us has definitely like helped us yeah and and helped my husband as well with his grief yeah. and then now you know he's picked up golf so he loves to golf and just things that can get him, you know, on just things that can get him like feeling better. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, therapy just wasn't one of them and that's fine. Yeah. I think our, both of our families understand the importance of therapy. It just, it just helped me, but it didn't help him. Yeah. 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 That's great that he found a way to cope whether if it's being distracted in different ways or activities. Yeah, and you're so right that there are different ways of, of grieving. And I do appreciate you sharing that because there is kind of like this new narrative about just like the importance of therapy and how, you know, you should go. But I think that everyone processes things differently. And, and I do appreciate you sharing that. I know that this has been very heavy and I, and I hope you are okay. I'm just checking in. Are, yes. are you okay? No, okay. yes, I'm okay. Yo soy okay. una chillona, so I'm gonna just cry. <laughs> si pasa una mosca, lloro. So <laughs> that's what my mom says all the time. I get it from her. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. I And I get it from my dad. I really don't cry a lot. My dad doesn't cry. I've never seen my dad cry. I, <laughs> I, I do cry when... It's really, really like when I'm really hurt or when I'm really angry, I mostly cry when I'm angry. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So thank you. So as we talked about the how taboo, you know, this can be and just how the way that our upbringing makes a big impact about these experiences and how we're not equipped to have these experiences and really no one is, but I often think that our culture does make a big influence in terms of the way that we cope or the way that we grieve or the way that we never talk about just women and parents miscarrying or losing children due to stillbirth, early you know, infancy or what have you. And so what would you advise people in our community to stop saying or doing when a woman miscarries or loses a child. You know, going back to that religion piece, when people say, solo Dios sabe por qué pasan las cosas. You know, like, it's not up, it's just your body. It's the way that your body is, you know, handling that pregnancy. 
And so when somebody's going through a loss or when somebody has, when somebody's child dies, you know, I think our culture definitely needs to stop saying that Mm -hmm. because that's not helpful in any way. It's not helpful in the grief journey. It's not helpful. It's not helpful for them to, you know, I think that it comes from a good place, Mm -hmm. but that's just not what needs to be said. And like you said before, they just need to listen. You know, if I just want to cry for 10 minutes straight, I don't need you telling me. Solo Dios sabe por qué pasan las cosas. I just need mm-hmm. you to sit there and, you know, listen with me. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's a really good tip of advice. And and this can happen in any kind of situation. Like even when you lose a, a parent or even, you know, when, when just unexpected things happen. I think oftentimes, yes, we do leave things to God. And then I do see that, that there is hope and potential or, you know, a level of resolution. But oftentimes when something actually happens, you know, I think it's just a matter of allowing space. And it's almost like erasing kind of our feelings, our lived experiences. And And validating them. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So how has your loss shaped you to who you are today? It's definitely changed the way that I see and experience pregnancy. Hmm. You know, even now, sometimes when I see, you know, people are pregnant and they're just, you know, going through it and or they do things that I couldn't do during my pregnancy because I have to be, I had to be extra careful. You know, it's like that pregnancy bliss, that innocence was taken away from me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, from now on, all of my pregnancies are going to be different. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to enjoy them the way that a mom has, who has an experienced loss. Mm-hmm. And it's it's taken it's definitely taken a toll on me and i'm never gonna wish ill will on a pregnant woman never you know a lot of us lost moms always say that but it's just the fact that our innocence was taken away from us Mm -hmm. you know and our experiences like will forever be changed because of that is something that I will always have to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I think it's almost like a a fantasy that pregnancy, childbirth is all wonder. It's all perfect. And I think you get these images off of social media and, and that has been such a big impact. Even when I was pregnant, you know, I've always envisioned myself like this woman on Instagram because it's all glorified and all perfect. And yeah, you're so right. Like there isn't kind of like an opportunity to talk about the raw and true experiences. And and I feel like now things are becoming a little bit different. And I think with you sharing your story through this platform, you know, through social media, like I think you are allowing people to just understand the realities of things that it is important to kind of validate your pregnancy, but also being mindful that, okay, things can happen. And 
and things may not come the way that you expect. Everything is so unexpected when it comes to, you know, from trying to conceive to all the way to childbirth. And even after, you know, I've, I've personally known families who have lost like young children mm -hmm. from like ages three to nine unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, we just can't have this image in our heads that it is all going to be perfect. And, and it's almost like a fantasy. Mm -hmm. And I do appreciate yeah. you sharing that because yeah, in my family, you know, women have miscarried, but it's interesting. It's like, las dejamos así, you know, like we don't allow space or opportunities for them to actually grieve or to even talk about it. Mm -hmm. And my mom miscarried and, and it's almost like, oh yeah, I miscarried and I almost have to, I dealt with it. ¿verdad? But it's like, how do you create the space so that even more people can be aware? And, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean that, okay, this can happen to you or like how you're saying, like, I hope I'm, I'm not hoping for anyone to experience this, but if people are more aware about the true experiences of loss, I think it would almost shift a different mindset that things are not going to be perfect and it is okay that there is help, yes. that there is support. Yes. And I think going back to what you said, you know, about your mom, I think como las señoras de antes, they were never given the time to grieve, mm. never given the opportunity to grieve. It was like you had other children at home that you needed to take care of. You had mm. your husband to take care of. You were never given that opportunity to grieve. And I have come across other señoras who have told me, you know, I, I went through that. Y me lo dicen como si nada. Mm -hmm. Like if it was just like, you know, hoy fui a la tienda. Like it was just like something so mm -hmm. simple like that. Mm -hmm. And it just blows my mind because I'm like, you know, you went through so something so traumatic. It's mm -hmm. traumatizing. And so I definitely feel... For those women who just weren't given that opportunity to grieve and process their emotions. Right, right. Yeah, and I think it's important to just take care of yourself too. Oftentimes we, as mujeres, Latinas, we, we tend to just take care of others, put ourselves in other people's shoes. You know, that is our priority. And then we're at the very back end of the line. And and especially when you're going through this experience, you know, you definitely do need to take care of yourself and, and really seek out the support that you need that works best for you before anything else. And yeah, that is so important. So I know that we talked a lot about cultura and, and how it's impacted you in, in terms of the grieving process. Were there any kind of like I wouldn't say lessons that you had to give to family, but like, did you ever push back on, on family? How did you kind of navigate this, this whole process when including your cultura in it? I think I did. That's definitely something that I do need to work on. Mm. You know, in our cultura, there's that whole aspect of respect for your elders. And so, you know, if, if they tell me something that que no me parece, or that's wrong to me, to my grieving process, yo me quedo callada. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, you know, I wish that I could work on because I'm giving them the space to treat me that way. Mm -hmm. And I shouldn't. 
you know, I shouldn't be told those things or things make me uncomfortable. You know, I should be able to stand up for myself, stand up for my daughter, Lucia. But that's something that I struggle with definitely in our cultura. Yeah. When some when somebody older than you says something, you know, and their and their like pensamientos isn't just it's like the old way of thinking, you know, like mm. esos tiempos ya, ya han cambiado. They're it's not the same as it is now and they think that they could still talk to you that way or say things to you like that and that's something that I do struggle with a lot yeah yeah but you know it's good that you are aware of it and if you think that that is something that you need to work on at least you recognize it and perhaps you know in the future you could stand up for whenever you feel like you need to. So that's good that you've even made that self-awareness to yourself. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so now you have a beautiful baby boy. And do, you yes. yeah. And so, uh, first of all, congratulations. Thank um, you. <laughs> yeah, you, you did share that you went through fertility treatments and you have been outspoken about that. So can you tell us a little bit more about your second pregnancy? Yeah, so we we didn't really have a certain timeline of when we wanted to try again after losing Lucia. Um, mm -hmm. I think now reflecting on it, you know, after you lose something, you just, you really want it. Mm -hmm. And my mindset after losing Lucia, I was like, okay, next month we're going to try. And so, you know, when something is taken from you, you like want it even more. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't allowing myself to grieve and go through those emotions and so you know with therapy and time and just like meeting a primary doctor I didn't have a primary doctor so I was just looking for one just to get like a regular normal checkup after everything that happened and so it ended up that my doctor was also like a natural family planning like fertility specialist hmm. And so I had told her about my loss and she was like, okay, we're going to get all this blood work done. I'm going to see if it's like a hormonal thing and then we're going to start on a treatment. And so I went in, they had to take so much blood. Then I had my follow-up appointment and she was saying that it was a, she told me it was a hormonal imbalance mm -hmm. and it could, that could have been the reason for my loss. And so in order to correct that, she had to prescribe me progesterone, which I guess is just like the lowest, you know, way that you could start on fertility treatments. Mm -hmm. And so at first it was intramuscular like injections. And I would have to go in like every week for blood work to see if my progesterone levels were rising enough to where that I could sustain a pregnancy. Mm. So it was everywhere going in, every week going in for blood work. And she did not like the way that the numbers were slowly progressing. And so then she ordered an oral pill of progesterone. So I was doing the oral, doing the injections, and it still wasn't enough. And so then we would like, she also had me monitor my cycle, monitor my like ovulation days, look for certain, the way that the discharge was looking like. And so I learned a lot from her as well with tracking your cycle, like trying to get pregnant, you know, we, uh, we assume that you have sex, you're going to get pregnant. And that's not mm -hmm. the case. Mm -hmm. And so and especially in our culture, you know, if you mm -hmm. talk about sex, if you talk about 
all of this, it's like, that's bad. You shouldn't be doing that. Right. So it's like, I had to learn all of this on my own mm. through her at like my age. And it was definitely a, a lot that I learned through my doctor. And so then when she did see a good set of numbers of my level, she was like, okay, I want you to try right now. So then we tried and we got pregnant. Wow. And so we were just super thankful for her and the way that she was taking care of us, taking care of me. Even throughout my pregnancy, I had to get my progesterone monitored as well. Mm. So it was, again, weekly pokes, weekly blood draws. And she also didn't like the way my numbers were slowly rising. And then she added, so throughout my pregnancy, I had to maintain the injections. I had to maintain the oral pill. So then I, she had, she added a suppository progesterone. So I was on all three progesterones and, um, and I had to, until I was, until about 37 weeks, she said she would have taken me off of that, but Gabby decided to come a little early and I had him at 34 weeks. And then there was like one week where I had missed my pro- my blood draw, obviously, because I was in the hospital giving birth. And she sent me a message. She's like, hey, I missed your blood draw. Were you able to get it? And I'm like, oh, my son was actually born. And she was like, oh, my God, congratulations. She's like, you never miss your appointment. So I was just wondering. (laughs) Yeah. But I just I we really liked working with her and how she was able to you know, be very understanding with the loss and be very aware and be very patient with us. And she also reminded me, you know, it's going to take time. We have to correct this first. Like, do not be impatient. Like, please just allow me to help. And so we were very grateful for her too. And for my OB as well. I had, I ended up switching OBs okay, because the first one just totally, you know, we, we both decided, my husband and I, that it wasn't, she wasn't for us. And the doctor that actually delivered Lucia became my OB. I had heard of him before and I knew that he was just such an incredible doctor, but wasn't taking patients. Mm. And so that night after I gave birth and after they moved us up to the mom and baby's floor, he came up to check up on us. And I was like, please, like sobbing, please take me as your patient. And he was like, yes, of course, just call my office, tell the nurse that you spoke with me, like they, they will know and they'll take you in. And even him, be as a man, you know, as a woman, I was like, you know, I'm going to get a woman OB, you know, they're on yeah. more understanding, they know what it's like, mm-hmm. blah, 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 like, that's not always the case. Sometimes mm-hmm. they don't really advocate for you as much. Right. And so, you know, I threw that out the window. And I was like, you know, what? he's a man. And I'm just going to set everything aside. And I know that he's going to take care of me. And even then, every after every visit, he was like, you know, if you guys ever feel that something's off, call me, come in, we will make time. Mm. You if you need if you just want to come in so that you can listen to the heartbeat, come in. Mm. He's like, no question is a stupid question. He's like, we can laugh about it after. (laughs) but no question is a stupid question Mm. and so then he wanted me to get that cerclage that my sister got at 12 weeks the cervical cerclage so it was a stitch in your cervix to prevent it from opening too soon yeah and that in itself was also a scary process because 
you know, I had to get a spinal tap while pregnant. And it was just scary. You know, you're, they, they rush you, they, well, they don't rush you, but they put you into the operating room. Everything's white. All the bright lights are around you. There's like 10 people in there. You know, you have the, the anesthesiologist, you have the OB, you have the helper, you have a couple of nurses. And so they're monitoring the baby. They're putting in the stitch. I don't feel anything. I just feel like, you know, the tugging and pulling. And then it was super quick, but I was almost there. It was an outpatient procedure. procedure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so then, you know, I was put back into the room because they needed me like to use the restroom because I had a catheter in me before I could go. And that took Mm -hmm. a long time. And while we were waiting, they were like, well, we're just going to check on baby. And so they bring in the ultrasound and they don't find a heartbeat. They bring in another nurse. She's like, well, I'm going to bring in another nurse so she can help me. She's better at this. And then they bring in another nurse and she can't do it. She can't find it. Then they bring in the OB on call on the floor. She brings in another machine and she's like, how do we move around? Blah, blah, blah. And she was like, you know what? I'm going to call Dr. Cunningham and I'm going to tell him that you're going to set up an appointment just so that he can get, see if he could get the heartbeat. And now Mm -hmm. we're just sitting in there like, what did we just do? Like, we were in limbo for a day before he could see us. So we were just, like, worried if everything was okay. As soon as we walk in, they put the machine on, and boom, we hear the heartbeat. So it was, like, instant Uh, relief that everything was okay. Yeah, it was. That pursuit's definitely crazy. But he said that that is going to be, like, my recipe for the rest of my pregnancies. I'm going to have to go through that. Okay. Wow. Yeah, it's so interesting. We just don't talk about, you know, all of these different nuances that can happen from pregnancy to pregnancy, even within one single individual. And so I'm really, I just, again, I'm so appreciative of you being here and that you walked us through, you know, both experiences because we all know that, and again, I cannot just stress this, that not every pregnancy and not every experience is perfect and bliss, mm-hmm. like how you how And you not mentioned. every experience will end with a live birth. Exactly. Exactly. And so now that you have your son, how do you honor Lucia today? And will you tell your son about Lucia? We just celebrated her second birthday, like you said. And so we had got like, you know, a little cake. We always get her a little cake and flowers. This year, now that we have him, you know, we were able to light the candle and sing. And even though he's still too little to understand, we want that to be a tradition with all of our children to honor her. Like, you know, we don't want it to be a secret. We don't want it to just sweep it under the rug we definitely want to include her in everything and even with our pictures when we take family pictures we always take her urn with us and that's you know how we honor her we just the haven network puts on a walk every october to honor pregnancy and infant loss Mm -hmm. and that walk was just this past sunday and so there's a lot of families that come out to honor you know their little ones and all of our families come out we have shirts and it's just a very it's a great date for all of us to get together and honor her yeah yeah that's great 
Yeah, I think it's important not to forget because you yourself lived this very traumatic experience and it's not like you can just shove it under the rug. Right. I think it is very important for you to vocalize, you know, your experience and you're already doing this through this platform and I'm sure that many other mommies will be able to connect. And this is why I wanted you to be here. And also just the way that you just talk about this lived experience. And yeah, I, I think that you are so em, em, like powerful. You're so resilient. And I do appreciate you sharing your story. You know, now that we are almost kind of like shifting gears, is there anything else that you would like to share or, you know, kind of like talk about as far as with your experience in losing Lucia or how you're navigating this now? I think that there's also like a new trauma that forms with pregnancy after loss. Mm -hmm. And people assume that now that you have a baby, you shouldn't be sad. Or mm -hmm. now that you have a baby, you know, you can be grateful now. You can have fun. You can be happy. And that's not the case. You know, I'm always going to have, you know, my therapist said, that you can always have like happiness and sadness sitting at the same table. Yeah. Like you can always have those dual emotions with you all the time. Like, yes, I'm very grateful that my, you know, that I have my son alive, that I have him with me, but I'm also very sad that I don't have both my children with me. Mm -hmm. And so I think that people who have never experienced that before need to like understand that I didn't have this, I didn't have my son to replace my daughter. Mm -hmm. He was, he's never, he's never and will never be a replacement for her. You know, he's just in addition to our growing family and my family will always look different to people on the outside. And so I think that that's something really important that people do need to realize when it comes to pregnancy after loss. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that it's very true, especially in our culture, how you received messages like that, like, oh, ya tienes tu, tu bebe aquí contigo, you know, and mm -hmm. it's like, again, it doesn't resolve the pain, you know, the grief mm -hmm. yeah. that you are still enduring. And it's just like, I wish that there was a way, an educational moment to share to, especially our past generations, like our grandparents, our parents, Tias, tios, you know, like I, I wish that there is an opportunity to just speak up. And even though you do, oftentimes you shouldn't be the one that is only educating them. And so I, I hope that they do listen to this episode or and really anyone else. Just again, it, it's important to just allow space and opportunity to just share and listen, right, on the other side. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. I, I think that's very powerful. All right, so I will ask you three questions and I usually ask this for my interview guests. So these are my Viva La Mami motherhood questions. Mm -hmm. And so what still surprises you about being a mommy? The fact that I have a living son, like sometimes I just can't even, like it still blows my mind that I have a living son. You know, even after having Lucia and, you know, the lost community is always like, you're still a mom, you're still a mom, even though, you know, you don't have a, a living child with you. You know, you would walk into the store, you're still a mom. You go to a restaurant, you're still a mom. But now having, you know, my son alive and with me, it almost like 
amplifies that mom feeling that I do have a son that now I have to take care of him and you know I can share all these experiences that I wish I could with Lucia and you know carrying a diaper bag pushing a stroller all of those things are just you know things that I love to do I love like my mom's like déjame, déjame and I'm like no <laughs> I'm like you can get a shopping cart I can push the stroller yeah, tú ya tuviste tu turno. Yeah. <laughs> With you But and your sister. But then sometimes I let her, yeah. Yeah. But I think that is what, you know, surprises me. Still, like, when I have to, like, pack a diaper bag and, you know, it's the little things for me, definitely. Gosh, thank you so much for sharing that because I've never gone through this experience myself, but it gives perspective. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. even the little things you know, of like your mundane kind of routines. It just gives yes. you perspective. Thank you. Yeah. What is one tip of advice you have for Latina mommies, whether if they're going through this or may go through this, what is one, one specific tip of advice that either you have received or that you just want to share to a Latina mommy? Seek out help. You know, in our cultura therapy, it's like, ay, eso es cosa para los locos. It's not, mm. you're not crazy. It's a way for you to process your feelings in a healthy way. And so if you ever go through a loss, if you ever experience child loss, infant loss, you know, I think therapy is what worked for me. And I hope that it could be helpful for others connecting with other lost moms, you know, I've definitely connected with a lot of other Latina lost moms mm. and that's helped me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a community out there. Yep. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate you sharing that. And what is the meaning of madrehood to you? The meaning of madrehood is just experiencing joy in the simplest things mm. with your child but also allowing time for yourself because like you said before there was no time for yourself you know with older gener older women older generation of women and so you know being an advocate not only for your child but for yourself for your mm. mental health because it is a very it it asks te pide mucho said mama you know mm. it's like they always you know children always gravitate towards their mom always you know like the default parent and so I think in order to like pour from yourself you have to also like pour into yourself and do like you know get a coffee by yourself go get your nails done like spend some time by yourself go on a walk by yourself you know so that way you have more love and more energy to give yes. and even like now i'm struggling with that a lot being a teacher and having you know those students just like hugging you touching you and you know wanting to share things with you talking to you all day every day and then coming home and you know you have to talk to your husband and you have to play with your baby and your husband wants to give you a hug and you're just like i just need 10 minutes Touched please up. just 10 minutes <laughs> 10 minutes let me go to the basement and just like give me 10 minutes yeah and so it just asks it asks a lot of you and so you just need to 
make sure that you are, you know, keeping yourself full so that you can be the best mom that you can be. Mm. That is great. That is great. Yeah. Thank you again for being here. I appreciate it. Again, I'm sure that you're making so much of an impact, whether if it's through here or through your Instagram account. And speaking of which, where can people follow you? I'm only on Instagram. I'm at Val Castillo with two underscores. Okay. Yeah. And I'll make sure to share that in the notes just again, because you share a lot and, and you speak the truth. Again, there's no sugar coating. And even though, yes, you know, you did lose Lucia two years ago, it's still fresh. It's still new. And we still need to honor her, you know, in her mm -hmm. memory, you know, forever and always. And know that I'm always having you in my thoughts. I always have her in my thoughts thank as you. well. Yeah. So thank you so much for being here again. And I hope that Amigas, you you have an opportunity to to have this space and reflect and think. And hopefully you can share this with another Amiga in terms of loss and know that you are not alone. So thank yes, you. You're not alone. Thank you, Valeria. Thank you so much for having me and giving me the time and your, you know, new platform and your new podcast to help me, you know, also with my grieving journey and to help, you know, hopefully connect with other lost mommies. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Viva La Mami podcast. If you like this episode, make sure to leave a review and write what episode really resonated with you. If you really loved it, share it on social media or with an amiga. As always, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening. Make sure to follow me at Viva La Mami on Instagram or visit VivaLaMami.com. Please note the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be replaced by your healthcare provider nor taken as professional advice.